She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 12. Leonard Betts. This episode is a Monster of the Week episode and originally aired on Sunday, January 26, 1997 at 9.30 p.m. after Super Bowl 31, in which the Green Bay Packers beat the New England Patriots 35 to 21. Ooh, Tori's a football fan, apparently. Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm a San Francisco 49ers girl because my dad, but I also root for the Packers. I have a lot of friends from Wisconsin who were really into football and you're a cheesehead. So, okay. I also uh-huh. enjoy the Packers, so I'm glad they won. Yay. I probably yeah. did not care in 1997. Yeah, I mean, I didn't care then. I don't care now. Not a fan of American football, but hey, you know, you do what yeah. you do. So this is the X-Files most watched episode with about 29.1 million viewers during its initial airing. For context, the second most watched episode up to this point was actually the previous new episode, El Mundo Gira, with approximately 22.4 million viewers. And next week's new episode, Never Again, will come in around 21.4 million. And the actual second most watched episode of The X-Files will be the season five opener, Redux, with approximately 27.34 million viewers. Whoa. Also, I found out we've been saying it wrong. It's actually supposed to be Hira, not Gira. Oh, no. So apparently G's and J's are treated the same. I didn't realize that G's were. I knew J's were. But like Jesus, but apparently. Yeah, I've learned that, unfortunately. So I don't think they ever say in the episode. I don't think they do. And I don't, again, don't speak Spanish. So I don't have any context for it. I just. Yeah. Now, I was working on some stuff for the season wrap up and was checking some translations in Google Translate and then it pronounced it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. So, well, yeah. uh, we'll mention that again in the season wrap up, but sorry, sorry for that. Yeah. That was my bad. I didn't even look it up. I just, oh, my assumed. bad too. I'm the one, I mean, I took <laughs> Spanish in high school. You took French. So, you know, it's yeah. really on me. I did take French and I just assumed it was, yeah. Well, that's what you get yeah. for assuming people. That's what you well, get. also like El Mundo Gira. That sounds fun. El Mundo yeah. Gira. That sounds weird, but sorry, Spanish. Yeah. And also, I guess hanging out after the uh, Super Bowl really does pump up those viewers. But I'm guessing a lot of people just have their TVs on. <laughs> you know, you're at a yeah. Super Bowl party and everyone just, I don't know. We'll Although, I mean, the 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 highest, like if like if you if you take out the Super Bowl and you assume the Super Bowl is what made this the highest episode, then the highest would have been 27, which is only like it's less than two million difference. It's 29.1, true. 27.34. So I mean from the previous and the next there is like yeah like a seven or eight million people different so it obviously did something but it's still not too shabby no no not doing bad i mean again x files yeah. is really popular for now in the next couple seasons so yeah or at least the next season so the week before on january 19th they did a rerun of season three episode 20 jose chung's from outer space which had approximately 15.1 million viewers, in case you're curious. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so a big jump from that, but that was also a rerun. It so. was a rerun. Yeah. So a lot of people were yeah. like, oh, I've seen this one. I'm going to watch something else. Yeah. In this episode, Mulder and Scully investigate when a decapitated body disappears from the morgue and appears to have returned to its home afterwards, 
leaving behind its still animated head. Oh. Yes, yeah, that's weird, creepy. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Vince Gilligan, John Shebon, and Frank Spotnitz, and directed by Kim Manners. Hmm. One of these things is not like the other. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we will see. So, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of the Pittsburgh Steelers, four-time Super Bowl champions when this episode originally aired, and currently six-time Super Bowl champions. Ironically tied with the New England Patriots for most Super Bowl wins, even though they lost Super Bowl 31. So, in other trivia, the Steelers are the only team to have won two consecutive Super Bowls twice. No one has ever won three, although the Green Bay Packers won Super Bowls one and two, and... They were the division champions the year before the first Super Bowl, and so could have possibly won three if the Super Bowl had been initiated one year earlier. Mm -hmm. Additionally, all the Patriot wins have been in the 21st century, with the first being in 2001. And in case you're wondering, when this episode originally aired, the San Francisco 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys were tied for the most Super Bowl wins with five each. And uh, you can do the math and figure out how they fared since then. So not great, unfortunately. Yeah, because the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers and the Patriots are tied together with six. So that yeah, you can do the math. Anyway, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. An ambulance races down the street with its siren blaring and its lights flashing. The ambulance driver, Michelle, radios the hospital, saying they're en route with a male cardiac patient, age 62. They'll be there in 12. And then she calls back to Leonard, the EMT who's sitting with the patient and asks how he's doing. Leonard says he's up to his ass in alligators, which refers to the waves on the monitor. I guess they're spikes. Michelle asks if the patient is going into arrest, and Leonard's like, no, he's not. And then Leonard, like, boom, jabs him with a needle in his chest, and the heart rate goes steady on the monitor. And Michelle's like, what did you do? And Leonard says, I aspirated his chest. He has a tension pneumothorax pressing on his heart. It just looked like cardiac arrest. And Michelle's like, how did you know? And Leonard says, because this patient is dying of cancer. It's already eaten through one of his lungs. Michelle is impressed and turns around and says, wow, how did you know that? And then the light changes and they get T-boned by a truck because she wasn't paying attention. <laughs> crushes the ambulance and sends it careen across the side of the road. So Michelle stumbles out of the ambulance and she goes around back and she's calling for Leonard. She can't find him. And then we see his body on the sidewalk. And then we pan a little bit and we see his body don't got no head. And then we look and his head's laying in the gutter. Got decapitated. Oh, yeah, not, not a good day for Michelle, the ambulance driver. Over no. there. Or the people in the back of the ambulance. True. Even worse for them. At the morgue, the patient who is in the back of the ambulance is put into a drawer. So he died. The coroner walks away. Another drawer is labeled Betts, Leonard M. So he died, which, I mean, you kind of assume because he didn't have no head. Mm-hmm. Later, the coroner is working on some paperwork. He's got his headphones on, and he hears, like, a banging. And he's like, what the hell? And he pulls his headphones off, and he calls out, but there's no answer. And then the banging continues. So he walks over to the drawers and see one of them is open, and the tray is out. And then there's something on the ground, like, in, like, the sheet that they have. You know, they put the sheet over the bodies when they put them in there. And he pulls it back, and it's Leonard's head just laying on the floor. He bends down to look closer at it, and someone whacks him, knocks him unconscious. And then we see this naked body just leaving. All we see is, like, the lower part of the body. 
like from the shoulders down. So, but they're naked. Yeah. Yep. And then it's the theme song. Michelle killed two people. Yay, yeah, that's Michelle, why you keep job. your eyes on the road. Eyes on the road, people. Yeah. Don't be looking at your cell phone. Don't be looking. I mean, you know, you can glance behind you, but, you know, make sure you're You've been having a conversation on this whole time. Don't know why you suddenly had to look back to ask him right then and there. But yeah, good not job. good. And I get it. Like, your sirens are on. Like, but still, like, you need to pay attention at lights because not everyone is, you know. No, people to... don't. I was in an intersection not too long ago with, like, a fire truck or something. And, like, I pulled over and a bunch of people pulled over. But there were still people, like, crossing in front of the fire truck. And I'm like, what are yeah. you doing? Like, they... no, that, that's why if you ever watch them, they do tend to slow down at the intersection to make sure yeah. before they go through. So, because people are yeah. stupid and don't do what they're supposed to do. Anyway, yeah. Leonard Betts is played by Paul McCrane. He played a detective in Cop Rock and Robert Romano on ER, which was the role he was best known for at this time, as well as the movie Fame. I remember was, Cop Rock being a thing early on in our episodes talking about Cop Rock. Yeah, it came up a lot. Yeah, apparently mm-hmm. he can sing and dance because he was also in Fame. So, Oh, okay. And that would have yeah. been like way previous to this. So yeah, fame came out what? Fame, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, I forget for Fame. I don't remember. Sounds right. I don't remember either. And he was also on Law and Order in 24, among other things. He's been in several things. So. Okay. so then we're at the Monongahela Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. A crime scene tech photographs the bloody sheet on the floor that had Leonard's head in it. And Scully opens the door to the drawer where Leonard's body was. And we see there are bloody footprints on the inside. She looks in with a pen light and Mulder walks up and he notes the footprints and he says, pretty cozy who'd ever want to leave and scully says probably whoever got locked in there last night Mulder says that would be leonard morris betts age 34 but when he arrived here last night he was sans head he was decapitated when his ambulance crashed he was an emt for the hospital and apparently a good one he had a slew of commendations and write-ups in the local paper scully asks about the morgue attendant Mulder says he didn't see who cold clocked him and stole his clothes and no alarms were tripped, nor is there any sign of a break-in. Mulder's like, weird, huh? He's, he's actually, he's kind of excited about it, but Scully's like, what are we doing here? Mulder's like, did I mention Leonard had no head? And Scully's like, you're not suggesting a headless body kicked its way out of a morgue freezer, are you? Scully thinks this is a bizarre attempt at a cover-up and Mulder's like, to cover up what she's like i don't know body snatching for profit an unscrupulous medical supplier might pay top dollar no questions asked Mulder asks why take a headless one and leave so many top dollar bodies behind a security guard comes in and says they found something on the video grabs Mulder asked for he lays out the screenshots from the er camera taken at 4 13 a.m that shows someone in the stolen uniform but static bars cover part of the screen, which conveniently, conveniently, yeah, conveniently cover the person's head, so we can't see their face. Or if they had one, <laughs> or if they don't have a head, <laughs> or if they have a head, we can't see because there are these static. Bars. I mean, I think it also covers their butt, so they might not have a butt either. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that that wasn't super obvious that what they were doing they made sure they put one in the middle too but it's like yeah come on (laughs) 
The security guard tells them the bars are because the security system is not exactly state of the art. Mulder asks what the man on the tape did with the corpse he stole. Scully's like, well, maybe he got spooked and abandoned it. Mulder's like, where could he hide an adult body that wouldn't be found? And Scully's like, I'll show you. So then they stand near this dumpster container that's labeled medical waste. And Scully puts on an apron and a face shield. And she tells Mulder that all hospitals have a method of disposing of surgical remains, etc. All that flesh is ground up and heated with microwaves to produce a sterile soot that's used as road fill. Which, that's pleasant thought. When I worked at the hospital here in Portland, I worked there. I did. I worked in the catering department for OHSU to name check. Um, there were Thursday was burn day. Oh no! And you could oh. smell it. It was fantastic. Oh man! Yikes! <laughs> anyway. Well, I was driving. I'm moving long distance. I don't know if you guys know. I don't know if I mentioned it enough, but I'm using one of those pod things and like I can't park it at my apartment. So I have to drive to their facility. And while I was driving, I passed this like really nice luxury apartment building that is right across the street from this huge crematorium. And I was just like, I bet they charge crazy rent to live there because there's like a view of the river over the crematorium. But I was just thinking about how if you had like in some of the units, like it's a really big complex. So if you were on the other side, you probably wouldn't even notice. But I'm sure some of those units that are right across from it probably get some super fun smells coming in the window sometimes. That would not make me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, fun thoughts, happy thoughts with Nick and Tori. <laughs> So Scully puts on a giant pair of rubber gloves, arm cover things, and Mulder says, in that case, there won't be anything in there to find. And Scully says, well, that depends on how often they dispose of their waste. So she opens the door and she sees it's full of stuff and she's like, we're in luck. Mulder seems pretty grossed out and is like, are you sure about this? And she's like, you know, I might need your help. Your arms are longer, (laughs) which makes Mulder super happy. So then they're both digging through squishy medical waste bags. And Mulder finds something and he's like, I think I got the toy surprise. And he pulls out Leonard's head, which is covered in goop. Mulder asks where his body is and wonders if the suspect somehow got it out of there. And Scully's like, well, why would he take time to dispose of the head? Mulder doesn't know, but he thinks she should examine the head while Mulder examines Leonard's apartment. They know how he died. Now Mulder wants to see how he lives. And Scully corrects, lived. So Mulder says lived past tense yeah i don't know there's just so much stuff in this i mean we talked a little bit about some of it but like i do the ambulance in the opening this is small stuff so small stuff first we'll start small ambulance in the opening and at the end because there's going to be an ambulance at the end there's ambulances all throughout this episode honestly but the one at the opening and the one at the end are old school box truck style ambulances Mm -hmm. and then every other ambulance we see and we will see a lot of them they're all the van type ambulances and so that's kind of like huh anyway and then there are footprints on the door but bodies are put in feet first or at least the other body was i would assume there's a systematic approach and the blood in the tray would infer that he was also put in feet first so why would his feet be on the door there's no room in there to turn around imagine trying to turn around inside of a coffin like you're not doing that so that's weird again visuals i guess and then Scully mentions that, like, maybe they're still in bodies because there's a shortage of teaching cadavers. Because obviously, they wouldn't be still in bodies for like organ stuff because 
the body, like the stuff would be damaged by now because it's already like decomposition, right? So she's like, but there's a, a shortage of teaching cadavers. And I'm like, in the 1990s? Like in the 1890s? Yeah, sure. But in the 1990s, you could turn on Discovery Channel and watch episodes about CSI body farms and like the human body tours were starting at that time, which there's a process that is involved with that, which we're going to bring up later. Like, I don't think there were probably shortages of teaching cadavers in the 1990s. I think that we just need Scully to come up with an idea for something, which usually happens. And then we already talked about the static, which was like, ugh. And then like they're digging around in loose medical waste. Like, give me a break. Like, boo, boo, all of it, boo. I, I don't feel that way at all, but that's okay. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> you got three people writing it, too many cooks, at least 66% of them maybe just need to work in a fast food restaurant. I don't know, but yeah, I just, I don't know. not starting out great for me. I know you have other opinions, but for me, I'm just like, yeah. boo. So anyway, we're in a medical exam room and Scully weighs Leonard's head. It's 10.9 pounds. And then she puts it on a table and it's all like, you know, face up. So it's just laying there. And she picks up her recorder and says the case number and she says his name. And then she mentions that the remains are incomplete because obviously we just have the head, right? So there's no body. And so any notes she makes, will just be talking about the head because there's no body. Mm -hmm. She notes the remains show no sign of rigor mortis or fixed lividity. And then she lifts the eyelids and the corneas don't appear clouded, which is inconsistent with the witness time of death, which is approximately 19 hours ago at this point. And then she says she's going to start cutting and there's some fancy name for the skin she's going to do. And she's, so she's kind of like going around the back of the head and starts to put the scalpel there. But when she does, the eyes open and she's like, ah, and she throws the scalpel down. <laughs> and then she's looking down at the head and the mouth kind of like slowly opens and then kind of slowly closes and then the eyes close. So, yeah, I don't know. I thought Scully's reaction was freaking hilarious. Like she just throws the scalpel. She's just like, ah, I don't know. I just thought it was really funny. I laughed really hard. Yeah, it's very subtle. Like it sounds like the eyes open and the mouth moves. It's very subtle stuff, but still, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, yeah. It's also it's also her reaction just made me laugh. Yeah. She, no, but I'm just saying like, like very measured. You say like the eyes open and the mouth moves. You're like, whoa, it's like opening and blinking and talking. No, and like, it's no, very no, like it's not. Yeah. tiny so, movements. Like they the eyes be... aren't like rolling around looking at her. Like, you know, they didn't be like, oh, hey, what are you going to do with that scalpel? So, you know. Yeah. No, they can be explained away by things that Scully will explain away. But she's it still freaked her yeah. out, which I thought was great. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, of course it would. You, you got a head and it starts moving. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it would yeah. freak me out, too, for sure. Yeah. And then at Leonard Betts' apartment, we hear Mulder, like, approaching with probably, like, the landlord. But we see the view from inside the apartment. And we see, like, some little naked legs all, like, running across the room as they're approaching. So someone's in there, and they're naked. And the landlord lets Mulder inside, and he turns on the light and looks around. He's like, I'll lock up. The landlord's like, I guess, that's fine. I guess you can, you know, trusting, I guess. Well, he's FBI. The guy's dead. Mm -hmm. Well, he says he's FBI. Most people probably can't tell fake IDs. Anyway, could be a serial killer. I don't know why I'd go into an empty room with a serial killer. But anyway, Mulder finds an article that's in a frame. It's all bets named EMT of the year. And in the bathroom, that's, uh, I forget. It's not even worth talking about. He just, he apparently just turned up as Leonard Betts a few months ago, but he's been named EMT of the year. Fine. I guess I didn't mention it, even though I said I wasn't going to. Whatever. In the bathroom, Mulder finds discarded scrubs and shoes and huge splatters of blood. And the tub is filled with a dark liquid, which he, like, tastes. 
Yeah, he does that a lot. It's weird. Mulder, stop using your mouth for that. I would. I mean, I would not even touch it without gloves on. But no. then also, I would not taste it. No. What are you doing? Anyway, no. there's liquid smeared on the window because the window's kind of open in the bathroom. And so he kind of looks out. And then under the sink, he finds a bunch of bottles of iodine. So apparently it's all iodine in the bathtub. Mulder's phone rings and it's Scully. And she tells him she's run into a unique situation. And he's like, what'd you find? And she's like, so far, not much. She ran four PET scans on Leonard's head. And each time the image has come out degraded, like it's fogged somehow. And he says, like the security footage. But she says, this is cutting edge technology. And the techs say the machine is working perfectly. They told her that it might be radiation, but she doesn't know where it could be emanating from. And I'm like, from the head? Like, you don't need a battery for radiation. Did you use a Geiger counter? Did you check see if the head's radioactive? She doesn't say she did. I'm assuming if she did, she would say that, but she doesn't. So maybe she's, I don't know. Anyway. Well, I mean, I think she's saying like, it's a head, but why would it be radioactive? Because it got radiation? Do you know? Did you check? That would be, I, like, it might be radiation. Well, let's check and see if the head's radioactive. Could be. We don't know. Yeah. Making assumptions. Check some stuff once in a while. Also, where are all the empty bottles that would have filled that bathtub? That would have been a lot of bottles. People yeah, like two up front of the cupboard, a whole bathtub full of iodine. Where's all these bottles at? Where are the bottles? You got iodine on tap there? What's going on? Don't know. <laughs> anyway, Mulder asks what she found during her examination, and she's like, I haven't done an examination yet. She experienced an unusual degree of post-mortem galvanic response. And the Mulder's like, the head moved. <laughs> and she's like, it blinked at me. And he's like, blinked or winked. And she's like, oh, God. Is she, you know, he's making jokes. <laughs> And he says that he guesses that she was afraid to cut into it and ask if she's saying it's alive. And she's like, no, I'm not saying it's alive. And he's like, well, has it crossed your mind that it's not maybe dead either? And she's <laughs> like, what do you what do you mean? And Mulder tells her that the clothes of the man from the security tape are strewn all over the floor. So the clothes he took from the attendant, right? He made himself at home. Maybe he was at home. Leonard Betts without his head. And Scully's like, Leonard Betts without his head? And Mulder's like, yep. And Scully says she doesn't even know how to respond to that. And Mulder says he's going to have the local PD come down and keep the building under surveillance just in case the guy comes back. And then he hangs up and leaves. And I'm like, why don't you maybe call a tech team in to check out the apartment and maybe like not immediately leave until they arrive instead of just being like, oh, well, there's like blood everywhere and clothes. I'm just going to call the PD and say like, hey, keep an eye on the building and leave. What are you doing? Oh, I'm so frustrated already and it's early <laughs> and then as soon as he's gone Leonard with a new kind of fleshy looking head emerges from the bath of iodine he's all like spits up the iodine so and then it's commercial so he can regenerate a head I guess uh -huh. and I'm not sure what mechanism would control that because obviously not something with the brain because he doesn't have no head and apparently doesn't need to breathe either because he can hang out in the bathtub full of iodine for like minutes and minutes and minutes while Mulder's in there talking on the phone mm -hmm. so, yeah. yeah okay Yep, he can regenerate anything. Yep. Okay. So back at the hospital, Michelle Wilkes is heading for an ambulance while Mulder stops her and flashes his badge. Michelle is the person on record as being responsible for Leonard's remains, and Michelle explains that he didn't really have any family or friends. Mulder's like, except you. Michelle says she liked him, but she wasn't really his friend. He didn't let people get close. She was barely his partner. 
Mostly she just stayed out of the way. Leonard was an amazing medical tech and he could diagnose illness better than any doctor she'd ever seen. It was like he could look at someone and know what was wrong, especially with cancer. She always told him he should have been an oncologist. He would volunteer in the cancer ward on weekends. Leonard also never got sick, which was pretty amazing given what they do. But she didn't notice anything weird about him otherwise. Mulder asks about injuries, but Michelle says no, not until, well. I got his head chopped off. Yeah, until I crashed the ambulance and he decapitated. Michelle asks what this all has to do with someone stealing Leonard's body. It sounds almost like Mulder's investigating Leonard. So Mulder laughs that off and thanks her for her time. And Michelle Wilkes is played by Jennifer Clement. She looked really familiar to me, but I think it's probably just from this episode. Also, she was in an episode of Psych. That episode is Meat is Murder, but Murder is also Murder. And she was in an episode of Supernatural as well. She's also appeared on the 4400 and Eureka and some other stuff. I mean, we know all it takes is one episode of Psych and they are locked into your brain. I know, I know. And that episode's really funny too. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, how is Michelle still working? Like she took her eyes off the road in a high-speed vehicle, killed two, well, maybe only killed one person. I'm not really sure now. But she should at minimum be like on administrative leave while they're investigating stuff after the accident. What? She's just like, I'm getting ready to get in the ambulance, go to work. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe they're really doing? short on EMTs. I don't what know. This is weird that there wouldn't at least be like... She's got like a suture on her head from the wound still. And like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, it feels like there should at least be some kind of like inquiry into the accident before she's allowed to go mm-hmm. back to work and also she yeah. probably needs like recovery time plus I not mean, only even... was she in a terrible accident but her partner died so that could also and a patient right like there could be lawsuits about that from the patient's family like you know it would seem like even if it wasn't her fault like someone actually like not even at an intersection like someone like you know crossed the road and ran into her like dead on like there would still be an investigation of what happened yeah so, exactly like, it is weird yeah Meanwhile, Scully and Mulder stand around a vat that a machine is lifting Leonard's head out of. Scully explains that this process is biopolymerization, basically a high-tech mummification process. The remains are dipped in epoxy, and once it's cured, the specimen can be sliced for examination. And Mulder says, or you've got a nice paperweight. Scully does not laugh. Because she has no sense of humor. She does have a sense of humor. She's just not amused at this head. This head is really messing with her, and I really love it. And then she tells them that they should have some autopsy answers soon. And it's it's honestly hilarious to me that she's so freaked out by this head and that she'll, like, mummify it before she does anything else with it. And, yes, there are legitimate tests you can do once you do this process. I'm not saying that there aren't. And this is the process they use, like, for the human body tours. It's, it's, yeah. uh, sometimes they call it plastification, but, like, right, they're dipping yeah. them in the polymers because then you can, like, do like all that super slicing stuff because the body becomes it basically turns the body into like plastic yeah and so you can do like fancy cutaways and all that kind of stuff yeah so yeah yeah and i just i just think it's really funny that she is so wigged out by this head and it's freaking her out and yeah i don't blame her i just think it's funny so later with the head sliced into thin sheets a pathologist holds up one of them and says that he's starting with an anterior slice favoring the frontal lobe He puts it under the microscope and then says, this is certainly strange. Mulder asks if it's something wrong with the image, because obviously they've been having that problem. 
And the pathologist is like, see for yourself. And he turns on this computer monitor that is attached to the microscope and an image appears on the screen. Scully looks at it and she's like, his entire brain is riddled with cancer. Every cell is cancerous. It's completely pervasive. And Mulder asks if someone could live like that. And the pathologist says a person would be long dead before reaching this kind of metastatic stage. Maybe the polymerization process messed up the sample somehow, or maybe they're not seeing what they think they're seeing. Mulder says maybe they're just seeing it clearly for the first time. Scully asks what he's suggesting, and Mulder says that they should get a slice to go. Mmm, yummy. I would have assumed for like, they would have sliced it the other way, because they slice it basically like, you know, like from the front, so you get like, you know, and I've seen the digital images they do with like the PET scans, the MRI scans where they do that too. But I would think that maybe the other way, the side to side would have been, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't look as cool on TV to have like, right. Yeah. Cause you kind of get that. It looks like a, it looks a little bit like the fluke man a little bit when he holds it up. So, cause he just hold up the slice at first and it's all just, you know, facing forward. I do have a question though. Cause I'm thinking a completely metastasized brain would have been evident just by looking at the slice and you wouldn't need to have looked at a microscope if your entire brain was just a big cancer like i think you would have been able to see that because there's brain there like you wouldn't need to have like you probably would i don't know because i'm not an oncologist i don't know what cells look like you know if if it would look normal until you could see the cell structure or if it would look weird but maybe you wouldn't know why it looked weird i honestly don't know so maybe you could maybe it just seems like they say every cell was cancer and i'm like well that wouldn't probably look like brain that would look like a big unless your brain is made out of cancer because your whole body is cancer Oh, I know, but like that in my, it, like that should look different, I think. But I, I would don't know. think, I mean, I would think, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it yeah. would or not. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so Michelle is driving the ambulance and there's a passenger in the back and there's another EMT in the back because Leonard's dead. Hopefully he doesn't kill this guy and this passenger. And <laughs> she pulls up to the hospital and on the radio, we hear a dispatcher's making a call to unit 208 and a voice on the radio says, I know you're up to your ass in alligators, but it sounds like your patient might be in anaphylactic shock. And Michelle recognizes the voice of Leonard's. Because that was like his little phrase, right? Your ass in alligators. And the person suggests a treatment. And then meanwhile, Michelle's partner is like, hey, Michelle, come on. Like, I'm trying to unload this patient. Can you get over here? It's like this guy who were like racing to the hospital. Can you like stop listening to the radio and actually come help? And so on the radio, the driver responds that unit 208 suggested treatment seems to be working. So you saved someone else. Yay. But she's like, just totally all distracted. And her partner's all like, Hey, you're going to kill someone again. Start doing <laughs> <your> job. <laughs> Pay attention, girl. Get yourself a Starbucks or something. If that's what you need, get that mocha frappuccino and focus, focus. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, if you heard a voice you thought was someone. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, but, and she hears his still, voice and is like, like, wait, but he's dead. So, yeah, that would throw me off, too. But, yeah, and she just has a history like, of not your job. No, she, yeah, she's, that is evident, <laughs> yes. So, that might come back to bite her. We'll find out. So, then we're at Dr. Charles Burke's lab at the University of Maryland College Park. Mulder and Scully have brought a slice of Leonard's head to Burke, who says, wow, I've never worked with a sample of human tissue before. He's all excited. He asks what they're expecting to find. Mulder says, well, I'll tell you if you find it. 
So Scully asks if Burke has ever been asked to defend this as a legitimate scientific practice. And Burke tells her only if she's not happy with the results, because he's basically going to do made up shit. So yeah, I'm with Scully on this scene. So Mulder says that Burke is a pioneer in Curlian photography in the United States. Just funny because we know a little bit about Curlian photography mm-hmm. and I don't remember ever hearing a name Dr. Charles Burke come up, but yeah, he wasn't on in search of or anything. So no, he wasn't. No, I haven't seen any books written by him about it, but apparently he was a pioneer in the U S so Burke says he prefers the term aura photography, which is probably why he's not a pioneer in the field. Basically by applying high frequency electricity, he's able to photograph an organism's coronal discharge, which Scully is like coronal discharge. And Mulder's like, yeah, the life force or chi in Chinese. It's an accepted fact in most Eastern cultures. And Scully says it's the theoretical basis for holistic medicines and acupuncture. But what is its application here? Mulder thinks the life force might account for the fogging of the PT scan of Leonard's head. So, huh. or radiation. Did you, guys, did you guys ever get around testing that for radiation? <laughs> did you? Did you? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't, think, I don't they think they did. So, because that would also like make images if you tried to do that, what you're doing now, if it was radioactive, that would also, you know, leave an image on the thing. Anyway, Burke turns on the machine, lets us do a thing for a minute, and then removes the sample and runs the film over to a bath of development chemicals. And he says with his machine, he can photograph a lizard's phantom tail months after it's been cut off. And he pulls the film out and he's like, oh, we got something. He says that before he turns on the light so he can't see it yet, but he figures he's got something. So below the image of the head, a phantom body is appearing. There's like (gasps) these little ghostly shoulders and stuff. Mulder says, Burke, would you believe me if I told you this man's head had been decapitated? And Burke is like, come on no way Mulder's like way and then they ask Scully if she's happy with the results and she does not look happy and she does not Scully (laughs) I just love Scully in this episode so much it's so great I don't know I freaking love it this is a bologna sandwich (laughs) made with bologna as the bread and bologna in between and yeah So my understanding of Curlian photography, at least as we learned about it on In Search Of, which you may know we are watching over on our premium feed, either on Patreon or Anchor, you can uh, Mm -hmm. find those episodes. But I think like they usually photograph things that are in kind of a new state. So they'll photograph like a torn leaf and then it will show the whole leaf because the aura of the leaf is still there. Or like Burke even points out that he'll photograph lizards who lost their tails, but then on the photograph, the tail is there because it's the aura of the tail. So like, if that's true, wouldn't photographing a decapitated head show an image of a body because it used to have one and the aura of the head still includes the body? Like, it doesn't seem to indicate anything to me except that Leonard Betts used to have a body, which we know. So I thought that was weird. This whole scene was really weird for me. Yeah. If you take everything they say as truth, then yes, you should not be surprised to see a body underneath, right? It's And you should actually probably see it better than what we do see it. Also, if you bring me ahead, I'm going to guess decapitation happened at some point. Because like you said, there would have to be a body at some point, right? Boo, mm-hmm. more booing, more booing. <laughs> so, and then not to disparage my co-host but as we learned from in search of 
if you apply current to an object, then the image is displayed on the film. We didn't discuss the new state stuff, old state stuff in that episode at all. The torn leaf thing is real, however. It is a real thing, the torn leaf experiment. The lizard tail thing, I could not find any reference to that at all. I think that might just be something that came up with the episode. I could not find anything about lizard tails and that kind of thing. The torn leaf experiment was found to be non-reproducible if you clean the surface in between, like, photographing the leaf and then tearing it and then taking a picture. Uh, and that okay. is because dead and living things shed cells constantly. The electricity would react to anything on the plate. And so there would be residue from it. And so if you cleaned it, then there would be no. And then they, would, they talk about how like as time would pass, it would get less and less because like the spirit would be fading away. It's like, no, because then every time there's less and less residual. Like yeah, residue yeah. left over. That makes sense. Yeah. Because electricity will react to anything on the plate. Carillion photography is usually used for stuff like what Mulder says, like for auras and psychic energy and all that kind of stuff. The film reacts to the electricity as it's conducted through and around the object. It is literally a photograph of the electricity and the electrified air around and within the object. They're cool looking sometimes, and that's about it. From what I understand, back in the old days, because like there was definitely like in the United States, the United States did make some pioneering work on Korean photography because it actually began in Soviet Union in Russia. But from what I understand, you used to have to like just crank it full of like live, like, you know, direct current, like the whole time you were photographing it. So it would take longer to make an exposure, right? Because you'd have to do that for a long period of time. However, after taking a UCLA extension course in 1971, Kendall Johnson, who we talked about in search of, he figured out a way to do it basically with just a spark. And so it's kind of similar to what we see with Burks here. He like puts the thing down and kind of turns it on and it kind of like lights up a little bit and then it's done. Right. So it's nice, quick and easy. And then in 1975, Kendall Johnson wrote The Living Aura, Radiation Photography and the Curlian Effect. And effectively allowed hippies and new age people and television writers to go, ooh, and ah, and make up <laughs> shit ever since. So, yeah. 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 It is interesting that he places the head so high up on the plate, leaving all this extra space at the bottom when he does the picture. <laughs> like, use a smaller plate, dude. They're probably expensive. Or maybe center your subject. I don't know. And also he clamps it to the plate, which I'm sure would have actually had an effect on the image, but we don't see that on the image. So and a plasticine head would not be all floppy. Like when he picks it up, it's all like rubbery and like all floppy. It would be rigid. It's plasticine. So anyway, and then <laughs> what we see is not even Carillion photography. It's just an illuminated image of the slice of the head with like some foggy x-ray stuff below. Yeah. So also, yeah. Charles Burks is the worst recurring character on X-Files as far as I consider. He knows all about Yabuti, but he's never touched human remains before so more boo yeah don't like charles burke didn't really like him the first time we saw him don't like him this time either he's kind of a doofus yeah yeah so. he's not he's not the most exciting character it's a shame that they're like okay recurring characters and this is the guy yeah oh well it's a ranty day for me it's okay so as they leave, Mulder insists the photo shows shoulders and that it indicates Leonard Betts is still alive. Again, I don't know how. Like I how, don't know how. Like what is, yeah. What is, I mean, I love you, Mulder, but that doesn't make any sense. If he's still alive, maybe he'll show a whole body, maybe. You know, maybe. I don't know. Not just some little foggy shoulder residue. Scully is doubtful, but Mulder points out that Betts' head was riddled with cancer. And what is cancer but cells growing wildly out of control caused by damaged DNA? Again, not sure where the connection's coming from with that, but okay. Scully doesn't know where he's going with that, so she doesn't know either. Good job, Scully. Mulder posits that what if the cancer is not caused by the damaged DNA, but is rather the normal state of being? 
And Scully is like, even if that were possible, Bets was decapitated, head chopped off. Usually, yeah, you usually die when that happens. Mulder says, what if his cells retained a blueprint and guided rapid growth, not as cancer, but as rapid regeneration? And Scully is like, so you think Leonard Betts regrew his head? And Mulder's like, his tub was full of iodine, the same thing used in labs to help accelerate lizards regrowing their tails. And we both know that salamanders have grown entirely new limbs. Salamander hands! Oh, yeah, salamander It's got to be a callback. It's got to be a callback. You know yeah, Vince I mean, this is a callback, dude. Yeah, so. I, it probably is. Go Vince. Team Vince. Yeah. So Scully's like, salamanders are one thing, but mammals, no animal can regrow ahead. And Mulder's like, worms, which I have to say, Mulder, uh, worms are not mammals, but okay. No, and also she's like, that's worms, Mulder. That's yeah. Worms. she says whatever is happening someone is going to great lengths to dispose of the evidence and Mulder says maybe Leonard is trying to protect his secret so he's like I don't disagree (laughs) but maybe that person is Leonard Betts who's still alive because he grew his head so (laughs) I don't know this episode makes me happy just because of these interactions I think it's so great Uh, the interactions are good but uh, yeah I know I know it's not your your thing but I just the interaction just the way she's just like are you fucking serious right now like really Uh, I don't know which funnily enough this is this is probably one of the episodes where I am like most on like team Scully in this one I know the Mulder stuff is funny but at the same time, it's just like, uh, no, I mean, sometimes Scully is very adamantly against whatever Mulder's suggesting, even when like that seems like it's very clearly what's going on. But in this case, like, I feel like she's very adamantly against it because it doesn't make any freaking sense. Yeah. I mean, she's going to say some things later that I'm going to like hard eye roll and be like, oh, come on. But yeah, for the most part, this episode is like, yep, I agree. I agree. So. So then Scully's phone rings. She listens and then thanks the person on the other end of the line. She hangs up and she tells Mulder that Leonard did have secrets. He had an alter ego named Albert Tanner. She had Danny run the fingerprints and two people came up. But unlike Leonard Betts, Albert Tanner has a living relative, Elaine Tanner, his mother, who lives here in Pittsburgh. So Scully is using Danny now? Yeah, I guess so. Ooh. Mulder gave her that number and she's she's using it. Mm, I guess. I mean, she was like, you used Pendrels. I'm going to use Danny. Mm. There we go. Yeah. So. Fair's fair. <laughs> so Mulder and Scully go to Elaine's home and they ask if her son is Albert Tanner. She nods. And Scully says they'd like to ask her some questions. So Elaine lets them inside and then she excuses herself because she has something on the stove. So they kind of were like standing in the living room looking around and Mulder picks up a picture frame and the photo shows Leonard Betts. Elaine returns and they ask if the man in the photo is her son. She confirms that it is. They tell her that they know him as Leonard Morris Betts and they ask if she's familiar with that name. She says no. They ask if her son has ever used other names and she's like, why are you asking? Scully asks if she's aware her son died recently. And Elaine is like, what do you mean recently? Mulder asked when her son died, and she says six years ago. He was killed in an automobile accident. So Scully asks if it would be possible to get a copy of the death certificate, and Elaine's like, sure. 
And Elaine is played by Marjorie Lovett. She's a character actor who's appeared on a lot of single episodes of a ton of shows, including Murphy Brown, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Charmed, and Scrubs. Yeah, She doesn't look like her. She doesn't act like her. But she's got that silhouette of Jessica Fletcher because of her. Yeah, she does have a very similar silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why they need a copy of the death certificate from her. Like, does she have a photocopier? Are they just going to take her? Like, it's a public record. They're FBI agents. They can just go get it. They know his name. Yeah. Well, maybe because it might not be real. And if it wasn't real, it wouldn't be on the public record. Well, then they would know, right? Then they'd be fine. They would know that. So, well, maybe they just want to see what she has. I think that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, can we get a copy? And I was like, you're gonna take it do you have a photocopier well a lot of times when you get death certificates you order multiple copies because you need them to send them to people to be like oh this person's dead here's proof like you have to mail it into like creditors and stuff so it's possible to have like i have like probably five or six copies of my dad still because i ordered mm-hmm. like a bulk pack of like 15 or something okay i, I don't know i have an experience with that so advantage of being an orphan I guess so yeah yeah so then we're at the allegheny catholic hospital in pittsburgh pennsylvania michelle walks out of the hospital and she approaches an ambulance and she tells emts that she's looking for another emt someone who was driving unit 208 and then the woman emt is like oh yeah the new guy and she points michelle over in that direction he says he just went off shift but you might catch him and so michelle thanks them and she heads over and she sees a man emerge from between two parked ambulances Looks a lot like Leonard Betts. And she's like, Leonard? And he turns and then like, boom, duck takes off. Mm-hmm. Goes down an embankment. So she follows and then he's standing in the shadows down in the culvert kind of thing. And he turns and he comes into the light. And Michelle is like, oh, my God, it can't be. How can it be? And he's like, hi, Michelle. And he's like, it's OK. And he hugs her. And then he whispers. I just wish you hadn't found me. That's all. And then she's like, what are you talking about? And then he's still hugging her, not letting go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Leonard, because now she realizes something's going on. And then he jabs her with something. Something like an EpiPen because you hear it pop. Boom. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm sorry. And then she starts seizing and he holds her as she seizes. And then she stops seizing and he lays her body in the dirt. He killed her. Security guard sees him and calls out, hey, you there. Leonard bolts. The security guard chases him, and then they run and run and run. But the security guard manages to tackle him and gets him cuffed. He cuffs him to the handle of a car that's nearby because they're, like, in the parking lot. And then he radios the situation, and then he heads away because, obviously, he's probably, you know, just going to go check on the woman because he doesn't know that she's dead. So, you know, it's like, hey, someone just attacked a woman. So tells Leonard to stay there. Like, I mean, he handcuffed him to a car. I don't know where he's going to go. But then he like leaves because he's going to check the body, I guess. And then we see Leonard struggling with a cuff. We hear something that sounds like flesh, Terry, maybe. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. And then we see a doctor examining Michelle's body and the security guards there. And then he tells the other security guard to go check on the attacker. And then he goes over there. But when he arrives, Leonard is gone. Bloody handcuffed, just hanging from the car handle. And there's a bloody thumb on the pavement on the ground. This commercial, and I'm just yeah. like, man, imagine like coming out of the hospital, going to your car, and there's like some dude handcuffed to the door handle. You're like, what the hell is going on? Or like finding your car as a crime scene now, like you know, some well, it's there. 
It's Leonard's car. Like he's trying to unlock the door when the guy. Oh, oh, so yeah, I actually tackled him right at his car. I had to go back and check that because later they open the car and find evidence in it. And I was like, wait, why would there be evidence in a Uh, random car? Because I know they open a trunk. I didn't realize it was the same car, though. Yeah, because so he he runs from the security guard. He's got his keys out. He's trying to get the door unlocked. And that's when the security guard tackles. So that's why he's able to tackle them because he stopped moving. Gotcha. Okay. To unlock the car. Okay. So that is because I watched that a couple times to clarify. It is Leonard's car. So it's not some random guys, although either way, that's still creepy. And if you came out to your car and the car next to you had that, yeah, still. Yeah. yeah. Although I wonder if security guard knows that he was trying to get in that car. If like he was I think so. Time to I think see, he knew possibly. it was his. Yeah. So and also yeah. he didn't expect him to pull away and leave a bloody stump there. So yeah. Or like a bloody I would have thought I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I mean just because I'm thinking like the pain, right? So I would probably stop sooner. I would think it would be easier to rip the door handle off than to rip off your thumb, but I don't know. Yeah, I would so. think so, but I I've never been in that situation, thankfully, so I do not know. Especially because now that now now that I know that's his car, it's also like a Dodge Dart, so it's like an old fashioned car. But you know, so it's not like it's gonna be super strong. You could probably tear that handle off if you tried. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Also, Michelle should have taken some PTO, like because your bosses don't seem to care enough to like investigate the accident where you killed people. But you should have taken some PTO and maybe you know take a little rest because you'd be alive. Yeah, so, but you're not. So, Although I mean. If you lose somebody, your head so. and magically regenerate it, maybe you shouldn't go back to work at the same place. Yeah, because at least it's like <laughs> the third time he's done that, it seems. So it's like the guy from Sanguinarium who just like went back to the same hospital. It's like there are other options. There are yeah. other options. Yeah, I, mean, I mean Pittsburgh is a it's not like you know, like a town of like fifteen thousand people where everyone knows everybody else, but like still. Yeah. Well, still, Same but job. And I get maybe he wants to keep near his mom who's ailing and older, but like, you know, still, still. Well, and he needs to keep near his snacks, as we'll find out. But um, yes. there's probably other, you probably, there are probably other options. Yeah, for sure. Can. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Anyway, yeah, should take his time off, Michelle. You'd probably be alive. But, yeah. Well, use not. your PTO. That's the lesson, people. Use it. Yeah. That's why use it's it. there. Yeah. Take it. Also, you know, why didn't you put it on administrative leave and investigate this accident that killed somebody? <laughs> <sighs> so the next day, Mulder puts a bloody thumb in an evidence bag. Scully walks over and tells Mulder that Michelle was murdered, but they wouldn't know that if the security guy hadn't seen it happen. Scully found a spent injector in the grass and it contained potassium chloride. It's an electrolyte found naturally in the body and the coroner doesn't usually check for it. Mulder says Leonard was here. Michelle found him, so he killed her to protect his secret. Scully says the security guard did ID Leonard as Michelle's attacker, but he was working as an EMT by the name of True Love. Mulder tells Scully that Leonard escaped by ripping off his thumb because he knew he could regrow another one. And Scully's just like, it doesn't work like that, Mulder. Although you now have to admit, Scully, like the dude grew a new head because people yes, identified him by his have, face. Right? Yeah. I think she's still I'm also really curious about what first name he was using. So like true love. That's an interesting yeah, that's last a name. Interesting last name. Interesting. I'm kind choice. of really curious what his first name was. So. I wonder if he's going through hospital records and like stealing identities from people who've recently died or something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. 
Mulder argues that Leonard's regeneration ability isn't a greater leap forward than our ability to use language or walk upright. But Scully points out those were gradual steps, not a leap. Mulder argues that recent evolutionary theory disagrees. Scientists call it punctualism. The theory that evolutionary advances are cataclysmic, not gradual. Scully says what he's describing is someone so radically evolved that we wouldn't even call them human. Mulder then jokes, on the other hand, how evolved can a man be who drives a Dodge Dart? They open the trunk of Leonard's car, and inside they find a cooler filled with medical waste bags. Scully looks through them and realizes that all the bags contain cancerous tumors, and she wonders what he's doing with them. Mulder suggests there's a possibility Leonard isn't just cancer, and then Scully finishes, but he needs it for survival? Mulder nods, suggesting the tumors are snack food. Hmm. He then suggests it makes sense for evolution to find a purpose for cancer, the greatest threat to our genetic makeup. Scully mentions Darwin must be turning over in his grave. Mulder asks why she thinks Leonard is an EMT who regularly visits cancer wards. Access. A police officer comes over and tells him the car is registered to Elaine Tanner, Leonard's mom. Mulder wonders if she knows her dead son is tooling around in her car. Hmm. I this I found this scene. This scene actually wasn't too bad. I didn't have any big complaints on it, except for there's one thing that I thought was funny. Cause it's snowing in this scene. And yeah. Mulder and Scully are the only two people who are using umbrellas. I've never seen people use umbrellas in the snow before. But I imagine if you're trying to film people and keep consistency from shot to shot, you would want to make sure that they're not having different degrees of snow on them while they are talking. So that's yeah. probably why they're wearing umbrellas. So it looks ridiculous, but I understand why they're doing it. Yeah, so. I have seen people use umbrellas in light snow. Oh, not okay. often. It's not like a frequent thing, but I've definitely seen people do it. Usually tourists in Tahoe who don't know how to deal with the weather, but it happens. Okay. I won't take that step and apply that to Mulder and Scully. <laughs> I could. You guys know I want to. They're not from I guess Philadelphia. I guess they I kind of I guess I kind of <laughs> did. No, they're from DC where it also snows. I know. So yeah. Mulder and Scully and a group of police arrive at Elaine's doorstep. She opens the door and Scully shows her the warrant to search the premises. So the officers are going through the home and Scully tells Elaine she knows that Elaine knows her son is alive and that she's in contact with him and that she needs to tell them where they can find him. Elaine doesn't respond. Scully tells her that last night Leonard murdered a woman in cold blood. By lying to protect him, she's an accessory to murder. Mulder comes over holding a large bottle of iodine. He asks what Elaine uses it for, if she gets a lot of cuts. Elaine says when her son was eight years old, there were two boys who picked on him because he was different. And then one day they cornered him walking home and beat him up. He didn't even try to fight back. He just took the blows. So Elaine doesn't believe that he would have killed anybody. Because, you know, people don't change from like year eight to 34, but that's fine. If he did... He had his reasons. And Scully's like, what reasons? And Elaine says that God put him there for a purpose. God means for him to stay, even if people don't understand. And that's all she's got to say. So, okay. Then we see a man sitting at the end of a bar. He's drinking and he's smoking. He's not doing too well. He's coughing a lot, having some trouble. And we see Leonard sitting across on the other side of the bar watching him. And then we see him looking down. He's got a little vestigial fleshy thumb coming out of his hand. 
Mm-hmm. Not a salamander hand. Pretty damn Thank close. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. The man he's watching drops money on the bar and gets up to leave, coughing as he goes. Leonard follows him outside. The dude's getting into his car. And Leonard's like, excuse me. And the man looks up. And Leonard's like, I'm sorry, but you've got something I need. And as he says that, we can see like he slides a scalpel out from his shirt sleeve. Like he's like palming it. So mm-hmm. going to cut the dude probably. Take out his cancer. Mm-hmm. But it's going to save his life. Gonna take out his cancer. Yay. Good job, Leonard Betcher. <laughs> saving lives, saving lives. Getting your snacks, saving lives. Taking out cancers. I mean, Good ideally, job. if he did it well, yes, that would. I mean, not exactly like Jeremiah Smith, but close, close. So, <laughs> you know, you do what you can. Don't have alien Healy powers. So I use a scalpel. But, yeah, yeah, good job, true. Leonard Betts. I'm proud of you. I don't think it's going to end. The hero of the show, guy, I think, though. possibly. He's going around <laughs> saving people from cancer. <laughs> I mean, maybe sometimes. I don't think in this case, but. So in Elaine's house, Mulder shows Scully a receipt for a storage locker. And we see Elaine is like watching as they discuss it. And Scully says they should check it out. Meanwhile, Leonard is standing at what looks like a storage locker. And he has blood around his mouth and it's dripping down his chest. He's naked. Yeah, he's naked. And he struggles and we see something like moving under his skin. And he's like crying out like he's making some kind of effort. Like he's straining really hard. And the lump travels up his throat and into his mouth. And suddenly a new pale head emerges from his badly CGI'd mouth. And it screams. Yeah. They were doing really good up until the head actually emerges. Yeah, then it looks and very, it seems, very bad. Yeah, because then the edges, they had to CGI it. It seems like, I, I think they weren't, I'm going to make a guess here. I'm thinking they weren't planning to CGI it because they're doing that thing where they're pushing someone through a mold, right? Kind of like they did with the hand in... um shit what episode was that what's the what's the episode with the zombies um oh my god now i'm blanking and i'm, I'm thinking i can see the character in my head like i can see yeah oh uh, what's it called? fresh bones fresh bones yeah like they kind of did with like the hand pushes through a mold right you mm-hmm. know grab scully it looks like they're doing that where they were like you know like the actor is pushing his own head through a mold of his own head and coming out the mouth of it and what i think probably happened i think, I think the mold tore yeah probably and they had to fix it and so they had to use CGI to fix it, and it just doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. It looked like, other than that, it looked it looked really good until then. And then the CGI is only around the edges. Mm-hmm. It's not like the whole head is CGI'd or the internal head is CGI'd. Everything looks practical. They just had to do that, and I think probably the mold tore, and they were like, "Fuck!" So yeah, and they were like, "Hey, fix it in post." And the guy was like, <laughs> "God damn you guys!" So I feel him. I feel him. So Mulder and Scully arrive at Keep It Storage, which is what the storage facility is called, and they use the key on Leonard's key ring to unlock his unit. And then they see there's blood coming out from under the door, and when it opens, a body falls out, and it's the man from the bar. Then we see Leonard is in the unit, and he's inside his car, because it's like a garage-sized unit, you know. Got a Trans Am, too. Yeah. And he drives towards them and he guns the engine. So they jump out of the way and then they get up and they shoot at the car as it speeds away. And one of the shots hit and the car explodes and bursts into flame. Yeah. That's commercial. Yeah. 
and just I was thinking, man, that escalated quickly. Like cars don't usually just explode like that. So that's weird. Yeah. You can't even make a Pinto joke because it wasn't a Pinto. It was Trans Am. Yeah. So, yeah. But no, it's just, yeah. It, yeah. It's pretty like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we're assuming a shot hit. We don't know, but we're guessing. Well, it like, sounded why like why it. Why else right? would it suddenly explode? explode? But yeah, so, we don't know. Yeah. 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 Very weird. I did in this scene where he's like basically like birthing himself through his own mouth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because like when the head pops out, it has like a little like, you know, like a, it screams like a like the like a birth cry kind of thing. I had a weird thought. Who else do we know with the name Leonard that we've met in the X-Files? <gasps> Oh my gosh. Lanny's I mean, not exactly humbug, right? Yeah, not exactly, but I mean there's a there's a little bit of yeah, you could there's a little bit of similarity of what's going on, especially when we see this scene of like him like like kind of like birthing himself kind of thing. I was like, oh wait a minute. So yeah. Yeah, I, I there was thought, any intention, but just I thought whole... the scene he was like shedding a skin is what I thought was going on, but that is not oh. what's going on. So I was wrong, but that's what I, I mean. I kind happening. of, I mean, we're going to find out later for sure, but based on some things going on, I was kind of like, oh, I know what's going on. So mm. it, it, I was right, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, it brings up a, a lot more questions. So <laughs> well, we can talk about those in a while. So yeah, I'm sure we'll get to those. So in the morgue, Scully and Mulder are standing over the body of the man from the bar. And Scully says his name was John Glintz. He died of massive blood loss due to the skillful removal of his left lung. She says skillful removal. It doesn't look skillful, honestly, because you see this big old gaping hole in his chest. But uh, I don't know what counts as skillful. I just I think maybe because it wasn't just slashing random cuts like the person knew where the lung was. I don't think it means he did a clean job. I think pretty much everyone knows where lungs are. Well, I, yeah, I but I think like wrong, a doctor but... probably would know how to cut in and get the lung better than like you or me who would just stab at the chest I, I area. I, I think I could. I wouldn't just stab. <laughs> I'm going to get this little stabby, stabby, stabby with a pair. No, I'm, I don't know. It's just it's just weird because it doesn't look like. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just thought that was weird because she like she could have just said from the removal of his lung, but she's all skillful removal. Like he's Jack the Ripper or something. Supposedly, mm-hmm. it's just like it didn't look great. It looked it looked pretty rough. But yeah, Mulder guarantees the medical records will show that Glennitz had lung cancer because Betts needed that cancer. Right? He needed, he needed a snack. They took his car with all his little snack foods and the cooler. All his little lunch bowls are gone. Scully asked how Leonard could have known, and Mulder says that when he talked to his partner before she got killed. She said that he had an uncanny ability to diagnose cancer and that maybe his need provided a heightened sense. So like the fact that he needs to eat cancer, it gave him the sense to find cancer. Right. So so he can tell when it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Scully says, whatever the case, he's taking his secrets to the grave because then we see Leonard is lying on the metal slab next to them and he's all burned up. He's all crusty looking and black and kind of crunchy. And Scully says that he's dead and he's not coming back. And Mulder says that she would have said the same thing about Albert Tanner. His mother buried him and then he reappeared as Leonard Betts. Scully says that someone must be lying. Maybe the first death was stage. And Mulder asks if she wants to bet on it. Mulder's got plans. <laughs> yeah, they, lots of plans. So mm-hmm. later, Mulder and Scully stand over a coffin in the morgue since apparently they had Tanner's body exhumed. 
So they open it and they find a body that looks like Leonard Betts. And it's also charred and burned. Yeah, although his face is nice and clean looking, as they can tell it's him. Yeah, oh yeah, luckily. So Mulder looks at the Leonard body behind him, which looks similar, if maybe a little less burned. And then he's like, will the real Leonard Betts please stand up? And Scully mentions they could be monozygotic twins. I roll. I mean, yeah, she's got to offer. She's got to offer options, right? But Mulder doesn't think so. He thinks what they're seeing is beyond the regeneration of a thumb or a head. Scully thinks the idea of an entire body regenerating is preposterous. Mulder thinks the fiery crash that killed Leonard was a ruse and the man lying there is actually still at large. Yeah, I'm surprised there's no commentary about the fact that after six years, his body is not decomposed at all. Yeah, it's a good point. Although, to, yeah, yeah, that is a good point. I was going to say the head didn't really seem to start decomposing either. So that's an interesting. Yeah, but that was like 19 hours. This is like. Yeah. Years. Oh, I know. I'm just saying so, clearly he's one of those people who maybe doesn't. Yeah. I he's say a like saint. that's a real, real thing. Yeah, I was going to say. He's like, incorruptible. Like from Revelations. He's one of those people who doesn't. Doesn't yeah, decompose. He's an incorruptible. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God. It all connects. We'll just Scully get should be on board. Scully should be on board with this shit. Yeah. Mm. We're getting get God the stuff string, now. The yarn board and start making connections here. Then we see Elaine and she's bathing Leonard in iodine and she tells him that she's scared. The FBI seems to know all about him. They dug up the coffin and they found his friend. And Leonard is weak. He needs to restore his strength. He knows what he has to do. And he makes like a whining noise. And she says, I'm your mother. It's my duty to provide. Yeah, it's kind of like he's an infant almost. Because like he's making like those kind of like, mm, like he's mm-hmm. not able to speak or something at the point. I'm also just like, yay, more weird mom shit on the X-Files. Yay, <laughs> yay. <laughs> kind of reminded me of home, actually. Yeah. Just, just a little bit. Yeah, there's yep. a lot of... <laughs> Guys, I don't know you at all, but I wonder if you ever went to therapy for some of your issues, because mm-hmm. it seems like maybe you have some mommy issues. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Just a little. So it's Elaine Tanner's residence. It's 1132 p.m. Mulder and Scully are sitting in a parked car across the street from the Tanner home, staking it out. Scully asks Mulder if this man really exists. Why would he come back here? And Mulder says the only person connected with Leonard and who knows his secret is his mom. If they're going to get him, It'll be through her. And we hear sirens in the distance. Woo! And they get closer. And an ambulance comes around the corner, stops right in front of the house. Mulder and Scully jump out of the car and hold their guns to the cab. Probably because they're thinking it might be Leonard in the ambulance, right? Driving yes. or something. That's yeah. what I think what's going on. BMTs get out. And they're like, whoa, they got their hands up because they got guns on them. And like, neither one is Leonard. Actually, it's the EMTs that Michelle spoke to because, you know, they're conserving people they have to pay to be on screen. Mm -hmm. Mulder asks what they're doing there. And one of them says they got a call. Elderly woman with a massive chest trauma and blood loss. And they get the address. And the other EMT says, that's all they know. And then Scully's like, all right, you stay here. And then they run up to the apartment. So. Mm -hmm. And the female EMT is played by Lucia Waters. She also played a receptionist in Millennium Season 1, Episode 5, 522666. Boom! And she's appeared in episodes of iZombie, Stargate SG-1, Psych, The L Word, and The 100. I didn't go back to check, but if she played a receptionist, I'm guessing it was probably in the law firm. Probably. There was a receptionist, so. Yeah. Anyway, as I said, Mulder and Scully run to the house and they kick in the door. Scully goes into one of the bedrooms and calls to Mulder to get the EMTs up there. 
Elena's on the bed. She's unconscious. Scully looks at her and notices she has a wound in her chest and it's all kind of bandaged up. Mulder comes in and is like, three guesses what was removed. And the EMTs come in and Scully says, given the response time, Leonard might still be around. So, ooh. So outside, we see the EMTs putting Elena to the back of the ambulance and Scully's watching. Mulder jogs up and says that Leonard is gone. So he was looking around, didn't find him. Scully says Elaine should be okay. She's not out of the woods, but they should be able to get some information from her about where he went. Mulder tells Scully to stay with her, that he's going to call the local PD and have them cordon off the area. Scully gets in the ambulance and it pulls away. And Mulder calls in the PD to help search for the murder suspect. And then again, this is the, as I mentioned earlier, this is the big box van, which is or the big box truck ambulance, which has lots of room for lots of people in the back. So that'll mm-hmm. be helpful. <laughs> so the ambulance arrives at the hospital and the EMTs roll Elaine out. Scully calls Mulder from the back of the ambulance, telling him that Elaine crashed during the drive. Oh, no, Elaine crashed too. First, Michelle crashed. Now, Elaine crashed. <laughs> no, no, Why she, was Elaine driving? She, was she, cra- doing great. she crashed doing? like heart wise, right? Like she crashed. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So they're doing what they can, but there's zero chance she can give them any information tonight. She's not in that kind of shape. Mulder says he has the PD going house to house, but if they can't find him, Leonard may get away for good. And then Scully like kind of walks out of the ambulance and as she does, something drips on her head. So she touches it and she notices it's a brownish liquid like iodine. And she sees that it's dripping from the top of the vehicle. So she tells Mulder to get over there right now. And he's like, what? And she repeats herself and Mulder runs for his car. The older ambulance is probably rusty. (laughs) Scully pulls out her gun and she climbs the ladder to the top of the ambulance. But there's nothing up there. And as she's on the ladder, Leonard grabs her off the ladder and pulls her inside the ambulance. Then he takes her gun and he throws it outside and shuts the ambulance doors. And then he looks at her and he says, I'm sorry, but you've got something I need. And Scully (laughs) takes a second to, no, that's not good. And Scully takes a second to process what that means. And then Leonard attacks her with a scalpel. But she manages to punch him twice and she punches him pretty hard, manages to send him flying back a little bit. And he comes at her again and she kicks him to the side of the ambulance and he hits her and she gets thrown backwards. But he seems a little exhausted and kind of hesitates. Like he's probably not used to fighting. Not that Scully is, but I don't know. Maybe yeah, he's still see. kind of like proto too a little bit. Yeah, so he's, he's a little yeah. weak still. So while she's at the back of the ambulance, Scully grabs the defibrillator panels and she turns the machine on. And when Leonard comes at her again, she presses them against his face and the charge sends him flying out of the ambulance onto the pavement. And the EMTs come running out and they see Leonard on the ground. And one of them tells the other to go get the crash cart. And Scully watches him go unconscious and she's still sitting in the ambulance. Lots of crashes happening. Yeah. Yeah. He already got the crash cart, honestly. (laughs) Later, Mulder comes out of the hospital and he finds Scully sitting in a car. He tells her they pronounced letter 10 minutes ago. He's dead, Scully asks. As near as anyone can tell, Mulder says. His mom is still alive, though, mostly due to how well Leonard dressed the wound. She'll pull through, at least for now, although she has cancer. She was treated for it previously and got a clean bill of health three months ago, but apparently it's back. Scully closes her eyes. Mulder doesn't really know what she's thinking, but guesses that, you know, maybe she's 
feeling bad. And he tells her she did a good job and she should be proud. Scully says she wants to go home. Mulder closes the door and gets in the driver's side. Scully stares out the window, looking a little haunted, and they drive away. Unway. Yeah, she's, she's restless. Yeah, I mean, I would too if I had just learned what she learned. Um, got the howlers. No. Also, I realize in this scene now, I made a comment earlier about the whole like article where he's awarded EMT of the year thing. Um, we do know that like he supposedly died six years ago and was buried. I had mentioned that he had only come back a few months ago in Leonard Betts. I was conflating it with this three months ago. Her cancer was gone. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I thought did he make was a mistake. around as Leonard for a while, but yeah, so I did make a mistake. I was thinking of the three months. And so I was saying that he came back three months, even though I knew he was dead for six years, but I was, I had thought he'd only been back in that job for three months. And so I made a mistake. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was longer. Yeah. I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. Yes, you are. That's a good quality. <laughs> I am too, but I'm wrong all the time about really stupid stuff that I should know. So anyway, it happens. Then it's a little later and we see an alarm clock reads 2.08 and Scully is lying in bed and she coughs and then she turns on the light and we see there are small droplets of blood on her pillowcase and her nose is bleeding. Yay! I, I, no! Scully no, has that's... consumption! Oh no! <coughs> oh no, I have consumption too. I'm coughing. Or maybe I have cancer. I don't know. Um, I definitely have nosebleeds. Bad medication as a teen. Stress also causes nosebleeds. Being attacked earlier, like by a mutant, can also give you nosebleeds. I don't know that cancer causes nosebleeds, but okay. I mean, it depends on where the cancer is. But nose like when cancer. I was, <laughs> when Could I was a kid, probe, this freaked me out so bad because... I mean, I, I've always had sinus problems. I've had allergies my whole life and I just have constant sinus problems. You can probably tell from the way I talk on the podcast. I just always have sinus issues. And so I used to get nosebleeds all the time. And like when I saw some sort of, oh my God, do I have cancer? I don't know. Oh God. <laughs> but also yeah. I was just, you know, I'm a bit of a little hypochondriac and also yeah. like I was horrified for Scully as well. So when I first watched this episode, I remember it being very shocking. Yeah, I just the combination of the cough, cough, and then the bloody nose, I found hilarious. And that's why I rolled my eyes because there's that trope in like movies when like someone is like, oh, we're all happy now. And the person's like, <clears throat> and then they die later from like some disease. It's like the little, yeah, like, oh, they're going to die. And I just thought that was hilarious because like it wasn't just like, oh, she's bleeding from the nose. Like she had to cough. And then I don't know why the coughing and the nosebleed is related, but then it was just, yeah. I was like, oh no, yeah. she's got tuberculosis. Oh no. Well, we will probably learn a lot more about Scully's cancer as the season progresses. So you yeah. will probably get some answers. I mean, alien probe in the nose, that would definitely. Yeah, that would also. Stuff. And, and that may be related to her cancer. I don't remember, but I have correlation of those two things in my brain. So I don't know yeah. if I'm just. Although her probe was on or, the back of her neck. Yeah. Unless she's got another one. Oh, maybe they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, maybe. Mm. Yeah. This episode does. Uh, one thing I was thinking about this one was it touches on what I call the Wolverine problem. It also talks about we have some clone issues here, too, because of the whole like making. But I would have they didn't go into that too much. So, yeah, the Wolverine problem is basically they have kind of established in the comics that Wolver- you know, Wolverine can regenerate. Right. He gets damaged. And, you know, he heals. He's a healer. In the comics, because they have to keep amping up the thing, right? You have to make it 
you know, well, last time you got an arm chopped off. Now it has to be this. Although he's got animadium skeletons, that doesn't Other than they the animate, let's not get too, con- it's complicated <laughs> in the comics. I know. But yes, it's the point is, they eventually established it that Wolverine could regenerate from a single drop of blood. Which brings wow. up all kinds of questions about like consciousness and all that kind of stuff. It also brings up the question of if there's only a single drop of blood to regenerate from, like one, what happened? Because there might be multiple drops of blood. And so, like, if he bleeds, are there a bunch of little wolverines running around, like regenerated from drops of blood? Is there like some cosmic force that only allows one to exist at a time? Like, it just, it gets, you know. Yeah. You keep amping up the thing and yeah you're in trouble so yeah but then clones too we know x-files love them clones so which also brings up questions of consciousness and identity and you know regenerating your head i mean yeah i mean that's 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 where your brain is so kind of yeah so which made me that's why i thought of the wolverine thing because if you're regenerating your head and obviously your brain is not the thing in control of that right and so you're regenerating yourself somehow and then the wolverine thing is like well i can regenerate from a drop of blood you're like really yeah it's true it does bring up a lot of questions about how that actually works and what is the self and how is the self contained and yeah all those things yeah Ooh, deep spiritual questions that i don't think x-files is prepared to answer <laughs> at least not in this episode and then i mean he's a cancer eater i i was a little confused because they had they brought up the fact that like his mom like the cancer has come back so like i guess in my head i was thinking like if he's taking cancer from people he's taking all of it no Although, he can't he's taking yeah. the tumor but if it's spread yeah i don't so think I guess he, he can do take, that he couldn't take all of it without killing her i mean obviously he right. killed the one dude right but right well it, out, so and it depends like because if it's just a tumor he can probably pull that out and he's probably getting i mean we see that he's getting tumors from medical waste so those are all kinds of different cancers and tumors yeah. But like, if it's spread, it's not like he can pull the cancer out of their cells or body. He has yeah. to actually have the physical. I guess I was just conflating there. a little bit. Again, I was conflating things. That scene, I guess that scene had more with more. Maybe because I was thinking about it so much, because that probably also thing. Because like they mentioned, like her cancer, like she was in remission, right? Like it was gone. And so in my head, I'm like, oh, because he cured it, because he like took out her cancer and ate it. I guess I'm thinking almost like I'm doing like the jeremiah smith thing where he's like putting hands on and like cancer and then like gets it that way well obviously he's not he's got to like use a scalpel and cut it out of people and just eat bits and pieces right he's eating parts of it he might be able to remove the tumor but she still probably needed chemo and stuff so yeah they should have made him be able to like that'd be cool that would be really evolutionary advantageous to have someone who could like do that so that would be good I don't know. I don't think that's the deal, though. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. So as we said, this episode aired after the Super Bowl. They actually picked this episode specifically in hopes of picking up new viewers, much as they did with Underway when they moved to Sundays. Chris Carter knew the best way to get new viewers was with a creepy standalone Monster of the Week story instead of, like, trying to have people come in and catch up on, you know, an ongoing myth arc or something. Yeah. It's just, uh. I was, yeah, that's just... <laughs> yeah, not your episode, clearly. No, well, not only that, but like they're always bragging about like, you know, how like, oh, we finally like sorted out the myth arc. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you want to bring people in on like what the show is supposedly really all about? Because like you always say, like the show is about the myth arc. That's what the show is about. And like, why would you bring people in on that? And it's probably because it's a big old convoluted retcon, like spaghetti against the wall mess. And so you didn't want to do well, that. that. 
And like, it's hard to bring people in on an ongoing story where like you have to maybe know a little bit about the characters or it's easier to follow if you know like who the cigarette smoking man is where if he just kind of appears talking to the well-manicured man at a horse barn like who knows if you're gonna you know care if you don't know who they are yeah so i guess it makes I get sense. it it's just it's just they're always like they, they whenever they're trying to bring new people in they don't use the myth arc stuff and now he's bragging about the myth arc is like the soul of the x-files and then you're trying to are you, are you playing bait and switch on me i don't know i'm just yeah. being facetious too i'm just crabby today it's <laughs> okay so, you're allowed you're allowed to have crabby days that's i okay. do like what you just said though but then they throw in like scully has cancer at the end and you're like what and so yeah well that's a big i remember new, that being an incredibly new viewers wouldn't have any frame of reference for that no um, except that you know the lead of the show maybe has cancer that's pretty big news but you know it's it's not just her contracts up it's been on for four years her contract's getting ready to expire <laughs> she's out the door so, it's not know. just for new people. They also had to move the plot of the show along a little. So, well, they did not well, intend for this cancer I, thing to happen now. Yes, so. they didn't intend for it to happen now, but it will, and we'll talk about that more. I think in, there's a couple episodes coming up which I haven't watched yet, but I think that they all relate to Scully's cancer. So I think we'll be discussing this quite a bit, um, so okay. we can talk about it at any of those points. But yeah, I remember when the show first aired. That was incredibly shocking. Like it was really shocking. Like when he turns to her and he's like, "You've got something I need." I remember getting goosebumps. Like I remember that being very just. Oh my God, Scully has cancer. It was huge, right? It's terrifying. I probably would have been excited because I'd be like, "Yeah, right, they're getting rid of her." Cool. <laughs> yeah, but I was not—I was not excited as a young viewer. I really loved Scully, and I'm not excited now. I really love Scully. I'm not excited for the cancer plotline either. CCH Pounder, <laughs> partner with Mulder, and I mean, she came while Scully's in, in treatment, but I, I like Scully. But anyway, yeah, it was—it was a big thing. So I mean, this episode, I remember it very strongly, and I remember that ending, and it just really like. I remember it just being a huge moment in the X-Files, which I think is why this episode gets so much attention, not necessarily because it's such a great episode, but because of the storyline that it you know, adds to the show, because that's like the reveal of that Scully has cancer. I mean, we know she's immortal. She's not going to die anyway. So. Well, we hope so. We definitely hope that well, I was called him Peter Boyle. Let's we not say we. <laughs> okay. I we. hope that Clyde Bruckman was correct. <laughs> i would love to believe that you guys know not a fan no yeah it's okay i'm enough of a fan for both of us probably also, i'm also a fan of vince gilligan i liked this episode a lot i enjoyed it again there is some nostalgia playing in right like i definitely i'm not gonna lie that's part of it because i do have really strong memories of watching this the first time and being very affected by it so i'm sure that that plays into my overall impression of the episode but i thought it was really good i was entertained i mean a lot of it yeah there's some points where you're like that doesn't make any sense when you stop to think about it but while i'm watching it if that stuff or isn't just really as you're watching it I'm not sure well for you stop. yeah as i was watching it but... none of that stuff was really like popping me out or anything or really catching my attention the curly in a photography thing kind of threw me i was like but of course he had a body like that would show up so i was a little confused yeah, I'm not sure why they needed that at all, honestly. Uh, just to add it something woo-woo, like right? Where they, they, they need some time, so... They yeah. just needed to add another woo-woo element to prove Mulder's theory before we proved Mulder's theory by seeing Leonard Betts, I guess. I don't know. But overall, I thought it was good. I'm going to give this episode an 8. That's what I figured you were going to give it. 
I, did, yeah. I didn't think I didn't think it was nine. No, it's not did a not, nine. I did not think it's it not was quite nine. That good, but... but I was like, this is an eight for Tori. This is an eight for Tori. This is an eight for Tori. You know me too well now. Yes, this is an eight for Tori. <laughs> we should have a game where <laughs> we go through and rate the episodes secretly. What we think the person would rate them beforehand. Oh, and then, and then at the end of the season, we go over them. Maybe we, we can do that for it. season five. Yeah, maybe we maybe. Do, we'll have to plan yeah. that. We each have a secret. But of course, you have to do it before the episode, right? As you're watching it, be like, I know what she's going to write this one. Yeah. I know what he's going to write this one. And then we just keep it <laughs> quiet until the end of the season. Yeah. And then we go over them. Yeah. Have to keep poker face the whole season, though, when we're doing the ratings. Yeah. And I'm not good at that. <laughs> so. I'm not good at poker facing. I do think you're going to give this one a three. Shit. You're right. <laughs> yes. Called it. Called it. <laughs> I love how when we first started this podcast, we had no idea who the other person was. And now I'm like, I know exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm looking, I gave I gave El Mundo Hira a four. And I'm like, uh, mm, maybe not a three. But yeah, I was, I definitely was thinking three. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Those might, those might change. They might flip-flop. They might, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, no, I was definitely gonna say a three. So yeah, you nailed it. So boom, we were nice. we were we were psychic energy on this one. <laughs> yeah, so, should get those you know. cards back out. Except they're in a box <laughs> in a moving pod, so I can't pull them out. But <laughs> see if we could use our psychic energy to guess cards. Yeah, because we mentioned this on the premium episode that we recorded earlier, which I also gave a three. Ooh, that was rough on the premium one. Tori, we're not recording for a few weeks because Tori's moving. Uh huh. I am moving. She's leaving very far away. Leaving, not Las Vegas. Oh, she's standing closer to Las Vegas, actually. I will be very, I will be yeah. not very close to Las Vegas. I will be much closer to Las Vegas. Closer than you are now. Because so, yeah. I will be in the same state as Las Vegas. Yeah, so Tori's moving. We're not going to be recording for a few weeks, but we've got a buffer, so you guys shouldn't be affected. No, um, you'll know. If, yeah, you'll episodes we'll put, will just play like normal. There, if depending on, like, there is a possibility we might miss a week mm-hmm. between now and the next episode. It shouldn't. But we don't know what's going to happen with Tori's move, like, you know, how things are going to go. So everything should be cool, but we've got enough of a buffer to get us there. But if not, we'll let you guys know. And yeah. Maybe I can pull something out from the premium feed to give the regular listener something to listen to, too. We'll yeah. But it, which, it shouldn't be an issue, but just letting it you know. It shouldn't be an issue, but you never know. Moving is a big, complicated mess, and I don't know exactly how things are going to work out because just there's a lot of moving parts and i'm still putting them together into the jigsaw puzzle that is my life this is a terrible metaphor but yeah it's you know i don't know exactly what's going to happen we have plans to record at a certain point which should keep us on track but again who freaking knows so we'll just we'll see and we'll let you guys know if that doesn't happen but thank you for listening (laughs) yeah speaking of our premium feed we've changed things up a little bit links are in the show notes and we appreciate you. Anything you can do, spread the word. You can afford yeah. it. That's cool. If you can't, that's cool too. But We still appreciate you. And if you want to support us without money, you can always just tell your friends, leave stars and reviews, and let other people know that you're listening to this fun X-Files rewatch podcast. And if they like the X-Files or don't like the X-Files but want to listen to people talk about it, I don't know. We, we're here. So Yeah. I mentioned it before. Took eight months. But I did finally get ranty in the premium feed. So there is that. So if you don't like listening to me <laughs> rant, um, check out the premium feed, at least for the first eight months. You know, that's like yeah. over 
think there's like 70 episodes. There's something. so much stuff. We've got Kolchak, The Night Stalker. Yeah. We've got Scooby-Doo. We're doing Millennium and In Search Of. We've got more stuff coming up. We've got a lot of movies on there that are X-Files adjacent. There's just a lot of content. So if you're yeah. bored and you want some content, it's a pretty sweet content yeah. deal. There is plenty of it. Since October 1st, there have never been less than two episodes per week in the right. premium feed. So yeah. sometimes there's three. So yeah, yeah, we're working our butts off around here. And Nick is working twice as hard because he is editing all of that too. So <gasps> it is a lot of work, but we're we're doing it for the love and joy. And we hope you will love and enjoy it as well. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. And as we mentioned, we have bonus X-Files adjacent podcasts that you should definitely check out. Patreon, Anchor, Spotify. But whatever you do, you should be sure to join us next time for X-Files Season 4, Episode 13. Never again. That actually doesn't sound good for telling you to join us, but it's the (laughs) title. Can't help it. It is. And together, we'll try to figure out If If the the truth truth is still still out there. there. The truth is what we make of it. Mulder says that would be Leonard Morris Betts, age 35. But when he arrived here last night... He's 34. Oh, yep, it does. Mulder I don't know says, which one's right, but... No, I think 34 is correct. I, I don't know why I said 35. <laughs> it's one of those things where my mouth did something that I don't know where it got it. But yeah, that's not right. It's okay. I had to cut out something where we were talking about oh it was the cigarette smoking man the musings of the cigarette smoking man i said 64 instead of 46 when they were talking about john f kennedy oh no either of us caught it so i just like oh just cut the age out it was like you know like father you know like former pt boatman 46 father of two so i just cut out the age part because i'm like you can't fix that so (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think, well, you know, I mean, I'm, and I was like, I wow, you both have mild that. dyslexia, crazy. but oh, yeah. I know I do. I've there have been there's a couple that I've had to leave in recently, and there's a couple I've been a little fix where I am actually just saying words in the wrong order, and I know they're written correctly. I'm saying, like, yeah, 
you know, if I like, went to town, I go went town to. I do that a lot in writing. I don't do it as much in speaking, but I do misspeak. I mean, obviously, I just misspoke now. I said 35. Yeah. I don't know why. I've been, I've been catching it more. I'm like, crap, am I getting worse at it or am I just, I don't know. So Noticing yeah. it more? I know. Who knows? We're getting older, dude. We're getting older. I guess. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>